We have a limited amount of time on Earth. And there's so many incredible things to see and do. Why not go do them? That's Kristen. Welcome to Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis, a podcast by Bo Ringer Ingelheim. In each episode, we give a voice to a guest from the pulmonary fibrosis community who will share their experiences and stories with us. I'm Daniel Sinner, and I'll be your guide as we continue our journey through pulmonary fibrosis. Our guest today is Kristen. Kristen was a competitive swimmer until doctors discovered cysts on her lungs and she was diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome and later progressive fibrosis, a rare lung condition. However, by staying active and adapting her fitness routine to her condition, Kristen has not let it stop her from pursuing her passions. Kristen, thank you for joining us today to share your journey through pulmonary fibrosis. I wanted to start off by asking, when was your first experience with pulmonary fibrosis and what symptoms did you experience? Yeah, it it was actually a very, very jarring experience for me. I'd had kind of like a nagging cough for about a year and a half or so. Um, I saw like, you know, my regular doctor and they're like, oh, it's just allergies. And I'm like, okay, I don't think that's what it is. But like, I I went to a couple different doctors and they're like, no, it's definitely just allergies. Um, and I had just gotten over the flu and I was training for a very big event that was going to be in Hartford or excuse me in uh, Boston. And it was the uh, New England Masters Championships. Uh, and this is a really, really big swimming competition. And I was really excited because I was going to be swimming with my old team in Connecticut uh, that I had moved away from. My event was going to be the 400 IM. And I'd been working really, really hard. And I thought I was going to, I was really happy with where I was feel, uh, swimming at. Like I was pretty sure I was going to be getting a best time. I thought maybe I had a chance to place in my age bracket. So I was really excited about it. Um, It was two days before I was supposed to fly out. And I'm like, it was going to be my last practice. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do one quick 400 IM for time, very last thing. And then I'll get out and warm, uh, cool down, get changed and go pack. And I started swimming and the 100 fly, I was like, okay, feel great. That's awesome. Which it's like my worst stroke. So I was like, okay, this is feeling really good. And then I got to the backstroke and I started having like kind of a tickle in my throat. And I assumed I had just gotten some water in my throat, keep going, get to the breaststroke, feeling really good on that. And then I get to the freestyle and like, I'm just killing it. Like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. This is going to be great. My throat was still bothering me, so I coughed to try and spit the water out in the gutter, and I just cover the side of the wall in blood. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not good at all. Like, that's really not good. So the next morning, I call a pulmonologist, and he was very nice. He's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on right in. Like, I explained the situation. He's like, yeah, I'll squeeze you in. Come in. Uh, He does a couple, he does like a CAT scan. He listens to my lungs. And the CAT scan comes back and there's like a couple spots in the lungs. And he's like, well, you've got these weird spots. I think probably what happened is the flu, it irritated them and one probably broke loose. And that's why you were coughing. Um, You probably shouldn't go to a swim competition this weekend. 
So that had to get canceled. And he's like, I want to see you back in like six months because he's like, I've never seen a photograph of your lungs before. So you could have always had these spots or they can be new. We don't know. So you've coughed up all this blood in the middle of a championship, which is a huge deal for you. Very sporty, very competitive person. And you've then gone to a pulmonologist and they've said, okay, you now need to pause what you've been doing. Just talk us through how you're feeling at this point. I was really, really bummed. Like I was like, not only was I looking forward to the actual competition, but I was going to be seeing a bunch of really close friends that I hadn't seen in probably about two years. Uh, A couple months later, I, I was getting married and we were planning uh, our honeymoon around scuba diving because my husband and I were very avid scuba divers and we always made a point of doing at least one dive trip a year. You can't put those lungs under pressure. They might pop. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I hadn't thought of that. Um, so that one there really kind of hit me a little bit more because we'd had this elaborate two week dive trip honeymoon planned. And that one was, I think that was the one that kind of hurt a little bit more. Um, So it was one of those things where like, well, let's put a pin in it. Maybe, maybe we don't need to cancel. Let's check in, check back in six months. And at the six month mark, uh, the doctor was like, well, nothing's really changed. They're, they're about the same. I don't really see any difference. So I want to see you back in a year, but no scuba diving. But the scuba diving is actually the thing that's really kind of impacted me most because that was like mine and my husband's thing. Yeah. So although you'd have your identity formed around your sports, your sporting life, it was actually the emotional bond between you and your husband and your shared activity. Yeah. How has that changed now? How have you evolved your um, swimming and um, your enjoyment of things like scuba diving? Yeah. So swimming, I, I probably could still compete and I just need to kind of accept the fact that I'm not going to be breaking any records anytime soon. Um, I actually don't compete as much anymore, mainly because I don't have a team uh, that I can practice with. And I found uh, the uh, going a little bit out of order here. Eventually, you know, I got the fibrosing disease uh, diagnosis. I was also diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the lungs. And they caught it super, super early, like before it was able to spread anywhere. So that coughing up the, the coughing was caused by the lymphoma, but the blood was caused because it was breaking off the fibrosing cysts. Um, so because I coughed up those cysts, they caught the cancer before it could do anything. Um, so whenever I'm feeling particularly down, I'm like, okay, yeah, this really sucks, but it did save me from cancer. So glass half full, I guess. Is that the kind of philosophy that you now take? Because, you know, a lot of people and, um, 
I'm very grateful to have been given opportunity to speak to a number of people living with pulmonary fibrosis. And the philosophy that they take at the point of diagnosis is really what seems to carry them through this journey with pulmonary fibrosis. Is that what you've done? Is, is that how you, f- you feel now that you are, you're grateful to be alive because it caught your lymphoma so early on? Yeah, that's, that, that's very much kind of the outlook I have on life. Um, I try very hard not to let the fibrosis or the Sjogren syndrome for that matter kind of define me. It's something I live with on the side. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to let that keep me from doing stuff that I want to do. I just need to kind of prepare a little bit in advance and, you know, you know, I, I bring extra, I bring eye drops with me. So I monitor my pulse. That's sort of, you know, it's, I can live a very normal life with a couple extra steps. And I mean, like not being able to scuba dive, like that's, that's definitely an emotional toll, but that's also a very first world problem, you know? And I, I kind of have to remind myself of that. You clearly have a very positive outlook and I found personally that you get a positive outlook once you've been through the hardest of hard times, because you see I've weathered that storm. I can cope with anything now. Can you tell us what the hardest moments of the journey have been before you went into this upward sweep of, right, well, I'm going to live my life to the best? Yeah, it was super hard when we ended up needing to cancel our honeymoon. Well, we, we didn't cancel. We went to a different island. But the uh, scuba diving was completely off the table. And uh, a- about a year after I was uh, done with all of my chemo treatments and everything, and I was feeling more back to normal, I was like, well, I can't scuba dive, but I can totally snorkel. So we were in the Bahamas, and we were lobstering, and I was diving down to about maybe 20 feet, um, which... For me, that is not deep, right? I'm used to going down to 60. So I was like, okay, I single breath, 20 feet, not a big deal. And uh, like the second or third day of my uh, trip, I started coughing up blood again. And I realized, oh, the pressure is definitely breaking these cysts out. But like, I grew up like I grew up in South Florida, snorkeling, diving. Like I caught my first lobster when I was eight. Like that's been a part of my life as long as I can remember. So like my parents taught me like, oh yeah, you dive underwater and then you look under ledges and that's where all the cool stuff is. So kind of not being able to do that was was very, very hard for me. There's an element of you're given this diagnosis and you're pushing the boundaries here. Oh, oh yeah, I totally was. accepting this diagnosis. Yeah, I, the, there was a couple years where I didn't want to accept it. I wanted to push it. And I almost took like a clinical approach because, you know, I'm an engineer. I, I, I like to think of things like, okay, let's, let's test this hypothesis. So I found myself going deeper. And I'm like, oh, nope, I feel it in my lung. I'm going to scale that back. All right, let me try going only two feet less deep, it, like very clinically trying to figure that out. Um, and, and the way we've kind of adapted is we tend to go to more shallow dive spots now. 
How has the yeah. pushing boundaries kind of shaped your your life in in general? How do you how do you push the boundaries, but then also how do you make sure that you're keeping safe at the same time? Yeah, about like the first year to two years afterwards, like you said, I really I, I very much pushed the boundaries, probably more than I really should have. I, I don't like to be sitting still and doing like, like I've always got to be doing something. And that's, that's always been my personality. So I kind of like to, I'm, I'm either swimming, taking my dog for hikes. Um, you know, as we can hear in the background, you've got two beautiful looking dogs. They must help you keep a really active routine. Oh, oh, they really do. I've got a, uh, a year and a half old golden retriever. And he's got the energy and the manners of a teenage boy. And then I have an Australian shepherd mix and she's a little older, so she's starting to calm down, but she's a ball of energy too. And, uh, you know, I, I like to take, it's, it's a little too hot in Florida right now to be uh, going on long walks with them. But during the winter time, we're, we, we try to do at least one or two walks a week, like long walks around the neighborhood uh, I like to take them hiking. Um, and, and then I also, I don't take them cycling with me, but I've got a bike and there's some really nice trails around here that I like to ride. For, for living with pulmonary fibrosis, that's a lot of activity to be doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, um, so I, I personally, I just, I feel better after I've exercised, you know, they, they talk about runner's highs. That's when I don't, I don't know if I define it as a high, but it's one of those, like, yeah, I have a sense of, satisfaction and completion, that sort of thing. Um, and, and I also kind of view it as a, uh, this is, this is very much a use it or lose it situation. And my mind is, you know, the, the lungs are something that need to be exercised and the more exercised they are, the better shape they're in. I've got a disease that is going to deteriorate them over time. So I want to build them up as much as possible to give me the highest possible starting point once they do really start fibrosing and deteriorating. Um, when it comes to the exercising, obviously, um, word of caution, you know, anyone living with pulmonary fibrosis um, and exercising obviously talks to their, their doctor or healthcare professional about how to say Oh yeah, I, I went over my, my exercise regime in detail with my doctors before I did anything. And, you know, they made a point of saying, no, exercise, that's definitely good. That's one of the best things you can do for yourself. But also, you know, buy an exercise watch, monitor your heart rate. If you feel pain, that's beyond the, you're working really hard. You need to pull back. Like, don't, don't expect to go, you know, run an Ironman tomorrow. You, you need to set realistic expectations. The second point I wanted to pick up on is, you very much someone who seems to live in the moment with doing as much as she can, doing as much exercise as you can, probably planning as far as the weekend in terms of activities and things. What does, what does your future look like? That's, that's kind of a hard question. Cause I honestly, I like, I think about it, but then I get depressed and then I'm like, I don't want to think about that. I, I think the thing that's, that's the scariest to me is my body letting me down because I'm a competitive athlete. Like I've always like my body is the one thing I can control. You know, we've talked about me being a competitive swimmer. That's 
like, like, yeah, you've got relay events, that sort of thing, but really it's, it's just you and your body and can you push yourself to do this thing? So it's, it's, it's a very, very personal, uh, event where it's almost like, uh, it's how well have you trained? How well can your body do what you are asking it to do? And I'm afraid that I am coming up on a point where no matter how well I do train, my body is going to let me down. How does that feel saying those words? My body's going to let me down. I, it's, yeah, I teared up a little. I'm not going to lie. It's, it, it doesn't feel great. And it's, you know, I think that might be one of the reasons why I exercise as much as I do. You know, it's, it's an event that I have coming up in the near future. Well, near in the distant future, but I want to prepare myself as much as I can in advance. So I give myself as much of a fighting chance as I can. And how does that shape how you are going to live your life? Oh, I don't let it impact me at all. Other than, you know, don't, don't dive too deep anymore. But other than that, I'm like, no, if I, if I want to go on a trip, I'm going to go on a trip. Uh, you know, if I want to exercise, I'm going to exercise. If I want to be a couch potato, I'm going to be a couch potato that day. And I guess you, you need both of those because this is the first time in our chat that you've talked about just coming home and putting sweatpants on. And- oh, yeah. There's, there, there's certain days where I just I'm not up for it. And for a while, it, it, it took me a while to, to understand that I can't exercise every day. Some days it's just not happening. And uh, my, my husband actually really helped me to understand that. And he, he's been very, very supportive. Uh, and, you know, he makes a point of saying, Kristen, it's okay not to work out. You know, it's okay to do 20 minutes of yoga instead of a 30 minute bike ride. Like it is okay. Do what you need this particular night. One thing that's, that strikes me as we look back on the conversation is you're very, very positive. Very much, I'm going to do as much as I can. I'm going to try as much as I can. I'm going to push my body as much as I can. For those people, when they wake up on the days and they go, I can't do it. I can't face it. Or they get to a point of diagnosis um, after a, a journey um, you know, similar to yours or different to yours. Tell them where, where's the point out the map? Where do you find that strength? It, it really, for me, it's, and I don't know how helpful this will be because, you know, everybody's in a different place, but for me, it was kind of a, well, what other choice do I have? I, I could sit in bed and mope and be sad and stop doing everything I want to do, but then what does that get me? I'm sitting, moping and being sad when I could even though I'm not doing everything I used to do, I'm still doing things that I enjoy. It's just modified. So it, you know, we, we have a limited, whether you're have a fibrosing disease, some other disease, or you're perfectly healthy, we have a limited amount of time on earth. So, and there's so many incredible things to see and do. Why not go do them? 
I don't think we could possibly finish on a, on a better note than that. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for sharing your journey and thank you for sharing your, your positivity and oh, thank sheer you. determination to live. Um, on those days when I struggle to get out of bed, I think I'll try and remember your last few words there. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's been really fun to talk about this stuff. If you're new to this series, you can listen to all the previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach out via hello at bowringer-ingelheim.com. This has been the last episode of season one. We'll be back for season two later this year. So remember to subscribe for free on your favorite podcast platform.